Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 244. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. I am so pleased to have on our show today, Hillary Hendershot from Profit Boss Radio. How are you today, Hillary? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been listening to your show off and on for a long time, so it's great to, to know you. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And we're... We are very aligned in many different ways, but one of the ways that we are is about money and mindset. But before we get into talking about that today, I want people to know your story and how you came to be interested in the financial industry and actually get into advising other people about their money. Yeah, thank you. I truthfully really have a head for numbers. I have a bachelor's degree in economics, did real well in math courses and things like that. I didn't go straight into financial planning after I graduated from college. It took about five years, but I did start working as a certified financial planner in my father's firm. He has a very successful planning firm located in San Jose, California. And um, there came a time when I was literally working with multimillionaires during the day, advising them on their investment portfolios and how to navigate retirement. And I would come home to a stack of bills that I would not open because I could not pay them. I was a chronic overspender and things really came to a head when um, the financial crisis hit. And I uh, literally was... I had one of those mortgages that would go up every month. It was called an option arm or a neg-am loan. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, terrible. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I had a condo that I had paid $400,000 for and done like 95% financing. And that condo fell to be worth less than $200,000, like $195,000. It was just a brutal time. My mortgage was going up every month. Um, A large portion of my income, because I was still working in the mortgage industry, was commission. And so things were were not good. I pulled my leased BMW into the Chevron station one day. I put my credit card in the machine and it got declined. And every credit card in my wallet got declined because I had maxed out my credit cards and I had uh, spent everything in my accounts, including Linda cashing out my IRA, my retirement savings, um, to pay this bill because I was just petrified, frozen with fear and shame about what was happening in my financial life. So I was doing everything to pretend that it wasn't happening, like not telling people, not downsizing, not not fixing it, right? Uh, and so there I am at the Chevron station with my BMW that I do not own, and I can't even afford to fill the gas tank. And uh, I, I had to really admit to myself how bad things had gotten in that I could no longer pay the mortgage and I always say, if my mom hadn't offered me her couch, uh, which I say euphemistically, it was actually the guest room. Uh, I went to live with my mom and rented out the condo briefly. If I hadn't had that opportunity, I, I literally could have been homeless. And so I really had to get honest with myself and say, um, I have 
technical education, really good intentions. Like I wanted to be wealthy, um, and really, really bad results. And I said to myself, I'm going to figure this out. Like I am now, this is my top priority. I am no longer going to pretend that this isn't happening. I'm going to deal with it in reality and I'm going to work my way out of this. And I said, if I can figure this out, I bet I can give it away. Like if I can create this as a skill set or a technology that I live through and recover financially, I bet there's a lot of people that would benefit from this kind of learning. And I really then became an expert. I read everything I could read on behavioral psychology, excuse me, behavioral finance, money psychology, money mindset stuff. Um, And it turns out that, and you probably know this, it turns out that neuropsychologists and kind of the academic world already know a lot of things about how our our realities as people, as living humans get created. And a lot of that has to do with language, that your experience of your life is in large part a function of language. Language brings distinction to things. It can bring emotion. Um, And that I had a lot of very destructive things I would say to myself about money. The core thing being there's never enough money. That was my experience and it was my reality. There's never enough money. Where do you think that came from? So when I was young, my mother was a a good saver. She was kind of the millionaire next door type and she was on a an average income. And so we just didn't spend a lot of money. She would say, I always have money for the important things, but I felt like I was always doing without. And so I didn't know she was saving money. I didn't know anything about it, right? I just thought that the, there wasn't money. So I, I mean... I tell the story of being on the high school basketball team and being really upset. I was the starting center on the high school basketball team and I had to wear um, Payless Shoe Source shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Which they're going out of business now this week. Did you hear that? They're going bankrupt. No, are they? Yes. Wow, they were around for a long time. Yeah. Um, You know, they call them... Oh gosh, were they pro wings or something? Anyways, I wanted Nikes, so I called my Payless shoe source shoes Likeys. These are my Likeys, <laughs> and um, and it was embarrassing for me. I, I was at that period of t- you know that time in life when you need brand names to prove you were good or. I don't know, popular. So, or so everyone else has Nikes, but you don't. So you exactly. feel like it's this scarlet letter that you're wearing around that you don't have money and you're shamed. It's shamed, yes. shamed for yes. not having money. Wow. So when I did come into money, I spent it gratuitously. And that really is, that's kind of the counterintuitive truth. If your core belief about money, and this is, there's never enough money is a very, very popular one, by the way. Um, if your core belief about money is that you there's never enough money, when money comes into your world, the only thing to do is get rid of it because there's this cognitive dissonance about uh, now there's money in my account, but I have this belief that there's never enough money, like I got to get rid of it. And that this really explains the really frustrating phenomenon about lottery winners and NFL players who get multi-million dollar contracts but end up going broke. Why do they do that? When hundreds of people have done it before them, they could easily learn from the lessons of the mistakes of people before them, but they don't. And it's because of this unconscious programming that we're all sort of 
victim to um, other money. I call them money operating systems. This language that's sort of formative about about money. Uh, other money operating systems are like uh, money is the root of all evil, or like there's some like money is greed. Like wealthy people are greedy. Uh, money is complicated, or I'm just not a numbers person. Uh, some people get there's always enough money. And my husband has uh, money is no problem, (laughs) 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 which, which sounds like a good one, except when I met him, it was really hard to get him to talk about money in a partnership way to uh, plan and, and talk about having mutual financial goals because money is no problem meant there could never be any conflict around it. So he wanted to just handle it on his own. He was like, we don't need to talk about that. Well, here I am a financial planner. So of course I, I want to talk about that. And so he, he was able to hear that, that it didn't have to be that way. And, and now we're able to have planning conversations about money. So I spent a lot of time uh, talking with people about what is your money operating system, and then what are what are the what the systems of beliefs? You'll have a, a, a whole set of strongly held beliefs that match up with that money operating system. Um, um, you know, for me, just as an example, I would tell myself I because I had a degree in economics, as I said, and I got my degree was a liberal arts degree. There were two types of degrees available at my school. One was a um, school of sciences and one was liberal arts. And, um, and I would tell myself that I couldn't earn enough money cause I had got the wrong economics degree. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> but I believed that to be true. And you can see that it goes with, there's never enough money. Of course, I would have to have a strongly held belief about why I couldn't earn more money. Um, so I was able to pull those beliefs apart, kind of examine them and then create new ones. And now, now I've changed, by the way, just to kind of, um, uh, tell the end of the financial disaster story that I was in, I let everything go, but ultimately turned everything around, paid off all the debts, rebuilt my savings. Now I have, I own and run a business that I could easily sell for more than a million dollars. Um, I have the retirement savings rebuilt. Uh, you know, I even have life insurance, like all the, all the pieces of my financial life are together. And now more importantly, it used to be every time I would log into my bank accounts, there would be less money there than I thought there was going to be. And now literally every time I log in to check my balances, there's more money, about 10 to 15% more than I think there's going to be. And that's really, I don't worry about money. I, I don't necessarily have financial independence. I could retire to some place, I could probably retire to Mexico now. Um, but you know, in the U S it takes a lot of money to retire. Um, but I, I do have financial freedom. I have, uh, freedom from worry, freedom from concern. I have confidence that I will achieve the, the wealth goals that my husband and I have created for ourselves as a team. And, and so I, I really want to give that away. Um, and especially to women. Well, I want to applaud you because, not everyone can turn their life around like that. And, and you did something really dramatic and really admirable. And, you know, everybody can hit tough times in their life and hard spots, depending on whether it's the economy or something personally that happens to them. But not everyone always turns themselves around. So I want to go back to when you're on your mom's couch, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and and you're feeling just at the the just 
you know, the bottom of the world and, you know, you're not able to pay your mortgage and things are just really terrible. So you decide to start reading to dig yourself out of this. What else did you do or why was, why did you think that behavioral finance was the way to go for you? And just kind of bring us back to what, what were the steps that you really followed to, to get out of that place that just felt mm-hmm. so overwhelming, that big black hole? Yeah, great question. I had been to a financial planning industry event where a woman who I now consider one of my money mentors spoke. Her name is Denise Hughes. I've had her on the podcast and she gave a talk about the emotional impacts of money. It was the first time I had heard the term under earner and overspender as a distinction. And it it sounds so basic now, but it was, I had never had the thought before that it had to do with psychology and strongly held beliefs that were a function of the past. And so I kind of had the knowing, but really had no practical application for it until I admitted to myself that that there was a problem. But then in reality, like in in actual reality, I had to change a lot of things about my life. I had to cut up all the credit cards. I did not touch a credit card for years. I mean, I have them now, um, but I pay them off at the end of every month uh, now. And I, so I lived on, I created a very tight budget for myself. I, my food budget was $8 a day. I literally would eat like one meal. Um, I would go to the networking events because they always have a buffet, right? So there would be food. Um, and that's just a, an example of really cinching the belt because I had to go from being an overspender, spending more than was coming in to spending less than was coming in because I had a lot of debt to pay off. And um, there were credit cards that I, I, I mean, I had to make the choice between paying for my life or paying the credit card debt. And so there were credit cards that I let go. I said, I'm not going to pay this for a while. And then what happens is if, if you've ever done this, I don't, uh, your listeners have ever done this, they, they just lie in wait for a couple years. They know you're reorganizing your financial life. And then they come back and say, hello, now that you have you know more income, it's time to pay. So I negotiated all those debts, paid every single one of them. They're all off my credit report now. Um, I did let that condo go. Unfortunately, the lender would not work with me and that the mortgage was just insurmountable. And so, um, and so, um, we did, uh, what's called a deed in lieu of foreclosure. And, um, that was, uh, it was freeing, but it was, it was humbling. It was not something that I wanted to do. Um, but ultimately money is just business. And while, uh, while I would never recommend that someone, you know, walk away from debt easily, uh, at some point, if, if it's, if it's you or the debt, you have to put that on the back burner and just say, I have to do what's going to work for my life. And that maybe is a different topic, but I just want you to know, I don't say I walked away from debt easily. That, that was a big deal. And, um, and then I started to rebuild and I, at the time was building my income through, I I left the mortgage industry and was full-time in financial planning and started to build my practice as I started to have more depth and sophistication in my understanding of, of, um, people and the emotions of money, uh, clients were attracted to working with me. And so more and more people were coming and, um, and signing up and, and being a client. So it was like, but it was like, I had to 
make that decision. And it was a very clear decision in my mind. Like, this is not how my life is going to go. Um, and things really came to a head because of how negative the financial crisis was. But the truth is I could have spun those plates of debt for a long time if that mortgage hadn't doubled right? Um, and, and the payment wasn't going up every month and, um, and the income had kept coming in. I'm kind of grateful, although it was excruciating at the time, just brutal on my ego and sense of self-worth and confidence. And, um, but, but they say, you know, in suffering there's wisdom. And so now I'm kind of unflappable when it comes to money. It's like, I've earned my stripes. (laughs) (laughs) So as you're climbing out of this big black hole. Did you refocus your vision of your future and see and say to yourself, you're going to create a certain vision for yourself? Or did you have some certainty about what you were going to do going forward? Yes. Yes. So I was clear that that being someone else's employee was not for me. And I knew that owning a company means building a business, which literally means selling. I mean, I sell people on my investment philosophy. I sell people on working with me. I sell people on uh, my my mission. Uh, and that's not always comfortable, but I wanted to become an expert. And so I decided that my goals were far more important than being stopped by fear. And I, I literally face my fear every day. Probably, probably you do too. I mean, entrepreneurship um, requires courage. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I decided that I was really going to put myself out there. And within within a few years, I had I, I really wanted to stretch my wings. I was uh, inside my father's firm. I really wanted to launch my own. I was building a practice inside my father's firm, but I really wanted my own brand and platform because I was very mission uh, and values driven around empowering women. And so I um, went out on my own just under three years ago now. And it's been wild and exciting and fantastic. And I'm one of those strange people who, um, contrary to public opinion about public speaking, which a lot of people are deathly afraid of, I love it. I love to take the microphone. So I've had the blessed opportunity to speak in lots of fun places like um, Austin, Texas and Hartford, Connecticut and Seattle, Washington and San Francisco. And I get to speak to groups of women. And and then I said, well, I got pregnant in 2016. I had my first baby. So I said, I can't travel. So I'm going to start a podcast. So I can keep, so I can keep talking in a microphone <laughs> and reach the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Reach and the I said, globe. yeah, I love that. And I said, okay, I need to have a net worth of ten million dollars. And then when I met my husband, we said, well, we should we should combine our ten million dollars and make it twenty million dollars. So now we're 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 uh, how do I say this? We're working fervently to achieve that goal. So you have a definite goal and a definite number. So you know when you have your success. That's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. And it's aspirational, right? Yes. It's like it's like a goal worth facing your fears for, a goal worth getting out of bed for. And the cool thing is that I get to do it in really meaningful ways by helping helping people. And you know, the, the great thing about it too is that when you have big financial goals like that, it does make you grow. And you mentioned, you know, being an entrepreneur, you do have to face fear. And there is such a comfort zone that we live in. And as an investor, when I was having my first real big investment success, it was 
I knew it was coming out of a comfort zone and I was, I was in fear a lot of the time, you know, with investing and afraid I was going to lose it all. How do people overcome fear in their mindset? Mm. Fear of investing or fear fear of losing money or fear of, um, you know, fear of fear of being successful or fear of losing money, I think is a common one. I mean, just the fear around money. How do, how do you suggest people get out of fear around money? Let me take those two separately. And that's why I, I asked because I think they're very different, but one is the fear of being successful and the other is fear of losing money or fear of investing in something that goes to zero or, or like that. Um, and I think that, so I operate under the principle that only two things in the world, there's only two things that can really truly change a human being. Um, one is shame as the story that I just told you, shame truly changed me. And, um, and the other is inspiration. And so the vision I have for, for women who often experience not just a fear of being successful, but like, like they think they they don't deserve it. They, yes. they don't qualify. That's right? right. That's right. I mean, it's it's awful. It blew um, me away when I first found that out because I didn't learn it while I was in the financial industry, but they didn't feel worthy and deserving of wealth. And that was a shock to me. Right, right. And truly, wealth is not going to show up in your life when you have that kind of belief. Or if it does, you know, you'll find ways to get rid of it quickly. Um, and so I think I, I, I love to use inspiration more than shame. <laughs> Certainly, um, I don't go around bringing shame to people. So I think that, um, that in a state of inspiration, people can take actions and get themselves committed to goals that are bigger than they knew themselves to be. And so a lot of what I do is about creating community. I think what women do fantastically successfully is support each other in community in ways um, that don't happen in the wider world. So you probably have a, a group of girlfriends that you get together and dish with, or you maybe have a business mastermind that you that supports you around your business. So my idea is to create a, a wealth mastermind where you can hear the real stories of women who have a net worth of a half million dollars or $2 million or have a $5 million business or, um, survived a divorce and are thriving financially so that those become your role models. Because one of the other problems is we really don't talk about money in, in real terms. I mean, we maybe talk about sales or discounts or how to get a good deal, but we're not going around saying, well, did you maximize your contributions to your IRA this, this year? Or, you know, (laughs) (laughs) uh, what do you think is the internal rate of return of your portfolio right now? Or how, you know, how, how, how do you and your husband decide how much to spend on a car? Um, we, we avoid those specific conversations. So I create an environment where those numbers are talked about and where we create celebration and inspiration around uh, moving forward um, financially. So hopefully creating an environment where the strongly held beliefs of the past can be surmounted, can sort of be blown wide apart, and we can take on new and bigger and successful goals. And then I think around the fear of losing money, I think, so 
almost everyone has a story of an investment that was a bad investment, right? And we get sort of PTSD. <laughs> um, I mean, I when I was 24, before I was in the financial services industry, I was at a, a, a big inspirational event that they had lots of speakers and then they sold a stock picking uh, methodology. It was based on stochastics and they, I think I spent 35 or hundred or $4,000 on this thing, got a coach and it was just a huge loss for me. And so I, I had PTSD about investing too. Um, and I really think that if that this kind of fear can be cured by, by good, solid education and information, because at this point, there really are ways to invest that I, I always say I have a lot of confidence in the stock market because I know how to play with the stock market. And I don't mean to use a term, a, a not serious term like play. But, um, but what I mean is I know what to expect from it. The stock market goes up and the stock market goes down and it goes up twice as often as it goes down. And if you invest in, if you diversify enough, you can righteously expect that, that, um, you can righteously expect that your portfolio or that investment is going to go up in the long term. So I think, um, for me as a, as an investments professional, if I say, if I never say something to you as my client that doesn't come true, then you're going to have a lot of faith and confidence in what I say. And so I, I really bring that confidence and trust. I talk about the stock market, um, like it's wonderful because I think it is, it's our opportunity to take advantage of profits worldwide, um, and to partner with really smart, successful CEOs who want to bring value to their customers and create products that we all use every Every day, um, and and if you invest in the right way, based on evidence, based on research, and not um, and not emotion or uh, a quote unquote hot tip, and not what you heard on the financial news media like the evening news, um, then you uh, I think you will gain confidence over time, and um, and I have a lot of success with that in my client base. Mm-hmm. Today, there's a lot of talk about billionaires, and of course, our new president is a billionaire, and many in his cabinet are billionaires. There's some negative talk coming out about billionaires. What do you think about that? Is that something that we need to be concerned about, the, this kind of negativity going toward people that have a lot of money? Is it justified? I think that's a great question. I think that that is a great a way to bring home this conversation we've been having about money mindset. And this is not to get political. Like it says nothing about who they are as politicians. But when I hear people uh, criticizing billionaires, like they're selfish or greedy or bad people, um, it says to me, I know that when someone talks like that, they're not happy in their money relationship, in their own relationship to money. That if you want wealth and financial freedom, you can't resent people who have that success. That money is not fundamentally bad. It's not Gordon Gecko's Wall Street where greed is good. It's not like that. That money is a blank slate. It's a blank canvas. And you can you you can paint anything with it, anything on it. So there are people who have money that are bad people. And that's true. Um, but that doesn't make the money bad. And that doesn't 
make them bad for being a billionaire. But the, the point is when you have that energy about people that have wealth, you're going to be very conflicted because, you know, you want financial freedom in your life, but you believe that wealthy people are bad. It, it those two thoughts can't coexist for long. So wealth is going to kind of be leaking out of your life as long as you um, hold that strongly held belief. So, you know, I just invite you to really be honest with yourself. What are, what are your thoughts about wealthy people? And if they're negative, um, and you're not happy in your financial, you know, your relationship to your own money, I invite you to really take that on, um, sort of expanding that thought process and looking at things from a new view. I completely agree with you, Hillary. I think people have to have a positive view toward wealth building and people that become wealthy. It doesn't mean you have to think everyone who has money is a good person because they're not, they aren't all good people. But I agree with you. If you think there's something wrong with it or bad about it, it's not going to be something you're going to bring into your life. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been so fantastic. Hillary, tell people, obviously you have Profit Boss Radio, tell people how they can reach you. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have room in your podcast lineup, I would love it for you to check out Profit Boss Radio. As a certified financial planner, I do share um, lessons learned from my own uh, client practice. I have expert guests like uh, Allie Brown and Barbara Stanny and David Bach that I've interviewed on the show. And I also interview everyday people who have tremendous financial stories to tell. We've talked about things like um, how to negotiate for a better salary uh, on the show. So other complimentary topics. And I think about Profit Boss Radio as your wealth mastermind. So it's a place where you can go to get the inside scoop and hear the real deal from uh, women just like yourself who are, are making things happen. So you can find Profit Boss Radio in the same place where you found this podcast or wherever you find podcasts on your mobile device. And you can check me out on the web at HillaryHendershot.com. Hillary has one L and Hendershot has two T's. <laughs> Thank Thank you so much, Hillary. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Linda. I found Hillary's story to be really inspiring. She was so open and frank about her personal situation and just falling into really hard times and how she bailed herself out of it, got back on her feet. Not only that, but really has grown her wealth. And I just want to say congratulations, Hillary. You did an amazing job and you're an inspiration to many. If you haven't yet subscribe to the show, please subscribe and tell your friends about Be Wealthy and Smart. And I'd love to have your review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio and hear what you think about the show. If you haven't yet gone to get your 11 quick financial tips to boost your wealth, go on over to lindapjones.com and pick up your free report. There are 11 quick things you can do to get your net worth moving in the right direction toward your financial freedom. That's all for today. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.